I'm going to go ahead and just quickly introduce myself. And then we're going to learn more about our guest and dive into her consulting journey. So my name is Erica Jordan Thomas. I am CEO and founder of EJT Consulting LLC, as well as Get Launch Consulting, which is a program that walks educators step-by-step through the process of how to launch their own education consulting business. And so we're here tonight with Dernisha, who is a member of Cycle 5 and has launched her consulting business. And so I'm just so excited for y'all to <laughs> learn her story, to learn more about her and her business. So show her some love in the chat. And as we go throughout our time together, if you have any questions, just drop those in the chat and I'll make sure that we get those answered. Dernisha, tell the people about your journey. Tell them about your, your education story. I, I call it the education movie trailer. Walk <laughs> us through your path in education in terms of how you started, stops you may have made along the way and, and where you are now. Okay. So this was my 15th year as an educator in public school. So I'm starting into the 16th year of that, starting my education consulting journey. So it was bittersweet because I was like, wow, 15 years. But looking back over the time, I did not start out in education. So when I went Mm -hmm. to college and I was at Creighton University, I was in the uh, Mm. pre-law 3-3 program and I thought I was going to be a lawyer. So I was Ah. there doing that. I got married. I had my son and I was thinking about, you know, just how you go through that fast maturation process. And I was a young mom. So I was thinking, oh, I hope when my child gets to school that they have good teachers and I hope they love him like I do. And then I started thinking about that. I'm like, wait a minute. I think I want to be a teacher. (laughs) So so I came back off of maternity leave and changed my major. And right. So that's just kind of how that happened. And it was when people say that teaching is a ministry and a calling it, I truly believe that people that are going into teaching, because none of us knew what it was when we went into it. (laughs) You don't Uh know. You You might go into it because you love the subject matter or because you really like kids, but none of us until you're in it really know what teaching really is. And I mean, that takes every part of you if you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Um, because this isn't just a job. This is a ministering to a child's whole spirit, their being, their their intellectual self, but also their emotional and, and social development, all of those things. And so when I realized truly what it was, I was like, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. And I knew that my purpose was to to be in education. So I started out teaching third grade. So I've always been on the elementary side of things. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And then I was approached by administration a few years in and asked if I would be interested in being an instructional facilitator for the school. And I thought, oh, no, I can't leave my classroom. (laughs) I was like, no, these kids, no, they need me and I need them. And we got our own little thing going on. No, I'm not leaving. And then so, you know, how they do is they say, well, you can surely you would want to make as big of an impact as you could. So you're doing that with your 30 kids in your classroom. Imagine what you could do with all the kids in the school with 450 of them. And I started thinking, hmm, okay. So that's kind of how that happened. So I transitioned into that role and I did that for a lot of years. I feel like for most of my career, I was a slash. So I was a third grade Mm -hmm. slash instructional facilitator at first. 
um, then I didn't feel like I could do either job justice by doing it that way. So the next year I became full-time instructional facilitator. And I did that for about 10 years. And then I was a slash because I became an administrator, but I was still doing the instructional side of things as far as coaching. And then after I became an assistant principal, then I was principal of an elementary school. And all of this experience was in Title I schools. So with all of the, the joys and challenges of that, I always say it was a very arduous but rewarding path that I took. And you have the opportunity in schools with that type of need to see the difference that you're making every day. And I think if you're in any school, you're making a difference. But you really were able to get in and get at the heart of, of things in the community and, and with the youth. So um, that's kind of what led me from third grade teacher, instructional facilitator, assistant principal, principal. And that led me to this year, stepping out on faith and starting my consulting journey. Oh, I always love this question because I learned something new about y'all, even though like I know you all. And so I always just feel like I learned something new. And I don't know why for me, it's so fascinating to learn like the grade people taught. Like for me, that's just <laughs> like, and you know, in education, it just like helps you like better understand the person. It's like, okay, what grade and subject did you mm-hmm. teach? Because I feel like you've given me like fourth grade reading <laughs> vibes, you know? And so to hear that you were third grade, it's like, oh, that. It makes makes so much sense. And you know what? One of my colleagues that I was in the doctoral program with, we started in the school district as principals the same year. And she used to tease me. She was middle school, a middle school principal, and I was elementary. And just some of the things I would do and say, she would be like, oh, sunshine and rainbows of elementary. And I'm like, hey, don't hate on us because we're happy and we're with the little. Don't, don't do that. Listen, I, you know, what? it's so funny because it reminds me of a story. So I taught high school, high school math. And most of, I remember the one time I had freshmen and I was like, oh yeah, I can't do freshmen. Like I'm upperclassmen. But when I did my residency, my residency for my principalship, the year before I went into school administration, I had a year where I was a resident principal at a school working under a host principal. And it was at a pre-K through eight school. And they, my host principal, as a way to stretch my learning, she put me over <laughs> kindergarten and third grade. And I remember having a meeting with one of the kindergarten teachers and I came out of my office because I was like running like a minute or two late. I came out of my office and opened the door and she was sitting like legs crossed on the carpet, like right outside of my office. I was like, oh yeah, you kindergarten. Come on in here. Come on in here. Hey. I was like, this is, this is a new world. Come on, come on in. I welcome it. Let's go. Crisscross so, episodes. Yes, yes. So tell us like, so you made this choice to, to pivot into consulting. Why consulting? Why not, you know, some, some other path, you know, because you could have gone many different directions, especially given your rich experience from classroom all the way up to, to school leadership. What, what made you go that direction of, of, your, of launching and starting your consulting business? Well, it's actually something you talk a lot about. It's the one word of freedom. I'm going to tell you that I had gotten to a point in my career and I've always been known for being one of one of my values is positivity. So I'm always Mm. smiling and people are like kids in my class. You say, did your face hurt, Miss Harris? Because you're always (laughs) smiling. (laughs) Are they like, do you smile when you sleep? And I say, we have to ask the kids. I don't know. You know, and so I noticed that. For me, there were certain things that were happening and I was in a system where I felt that I knew what kids needed and I could see what it is I needed to do, but I was under the constraints of just 
just the bureaucracy of schools. And I was in a situation where one of the mindset things that I had to really work through was that I felt like in order to make a difference, I had to be in the school. And so when I started looking at some of what I knew I wanted to do and the change that I wanted to affect and some of the systems and some of the inequity that I was seeing that I wasn't able to address the way that I knew that it needed to be. I said, I've got to figure out a way to be able to come about this a different way. Because yes, as a third grade teacher, I was able to do those things in my room. And even as a principal in a school, there were at a site-based level, I was able to do some of those things, but I saw that there's a bigger need. And so I'm like, how can I get to be at the systems level to help affect change for our kids because there are a lot of beautiful parts. I'm so passionate about kids and their learning and the academic side of things and also just cure personalities to care for the whole person. That's something that's always been near and dear to my heart. And so I see them as they're playing and learning and interacting. You see all those beautiful pieces. You also got to see the hurt and you also Mm. got to see, you know, just some of what just breaks your heart a little bit every day too. And so as a teacher, I think there's this dichotomy as an educator, just in general, because you do get the rewarding side of seeing um, them grow and you're planting seeds that you get to water over time. And especially if you're in, in the place where like an elementary school where you, you can see them from kindergarten all the way through sixth grade, just really blossom. But then you also sometimes are seeing just that peace inside of kids where things are happening in their world that they do not understand. And they're they're not necessarily equipped to deal with because they're things that even as adults are hard for us to deal with, let alone be a child and not understand it intellectually and not know how to work through some of those things. So it became a mission of mine to, yes, um, I was an instructional facilitator and dubbed the data queen and all of these things. Those things I knew were important because yes, we need to be making sure these babies are leaving here knowing how to read and write and, and understand math. That was, that was important. But to me, you had to first lay that track down because that train of academics isn't going anywhere if you have not laid down that foundational piece where their person is okay. And so um, that was that was something that for me has always been at the center of what I do as an educator, no matter what role I was in. And there were a lot of roles I had, like instructional facilitator. Kids don't know what that is. They don't, they don't care. A lot of times they'd be like, so are you the counselor? I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you do? <laughs> I'm like, I'm here to nurture your heart, mind, and spirit. That's why I'm here. You know, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, so because sometimes, you know, as an educator, principal, whatever you are, you sometimes the nurse, you're the Listen. social worker. Listen. You're all those things. So for me, it was, I wanted kids to leave there knowing that they had somebody who was in their corner, who cared about them who they could talk to, who would sit in silence with them if that's what they needed at the time. That was that was also going to hold them accountable because I wasn't messing around about their learning at all. And they knew mm-hmm. that too. They, they don't want to disappoint you when you take the time to build that relationship. And so there were times when I would get results in the classroom, which is one of the reasons I was approached early to leave the classroom is because they're like, how are you getting these results? But that's just one of the things that I, I believe as a consultant, is something that's so exciting for me because you can, for me, that was something that was intuitive. You have to start with that track piece. That's not intuitive to everyone and that's not happening everywhere. And when we're seeing things like 40 plus years of a, an academic achievement gap and we're seeing this discipline gap that's happening and we're saying, oh my goodness, there's this inequity that's going on. What do we do about it? It starts at a very fundamental level. We have to look at how we're approaching education. And so, mm-hmm. yes, you can, you, before you're looking at curriculums and all of this stuff, <laughs> 
we need to look at how we're thinking about kids and we need, you know, just some of those patterns that you see in schools. And so just taking a look at some of those things can make all the difference. So that's why it was consulting for me to have the freedom to kind of do what I know needs to be done. Um, mm-hmm. And and within the system I was in, that was hard to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also hear this piece of like consulting has provided you the opportunity for you to like channel and activate your power in a new way. Yeah. And so I think that's important for folks to kind of process who are in this early stage of whether or not they should launch their consulting business is one of the most powerful roles that we have in this country as an educator because of the way that we influence communities, the way that we grow and develop kids, the deep type of partnerships that were created, that are created with students and communities. And when you're talking around kind of your journey, it makes me think about how you are already activating that power in your role, whether it was a teacher, instructional facilitator, principal, and you are still an actor in a system. Mm. And so you have to maneuver a system in order to activate that power versus in your consulting business, you get to create the system. There you so, go. <laughs> so I, I think that's a really, really important piece for folks to be able to think about and process is that this isn't a, a service announcement saying you need to leave your job. You can do right. both. Yep. And I think part of it as educators is opening up our, our minds to the possibilities that actually we can create a new system to leverage our power, like the power of creation and innovation. Just thinking about already what's happening in your classroom. What would it actually look like if you were to channel that power into a system that you create, um, a system that doesn't have the, the constraints, that doesn't have the bureaucracy? And that doesn't mean that you may not tap back into it in order to make the change when you're having contracts with schools or districts or in other ways, but you're in a different position. You're in a different seat of power and you can channel your power differently as a result. So tell us a little bit about your business. What's the problem that your business is solving? So to go along with everything that you're just saying, it's to help support school leaders and leaders of education organizations do the work that we're talking about. So what I did is I chose to take the path where I've done this work for 15 years. So now I've stepped out to be able to step back in in a different way and assist people to how do you kind of navigate through this? How do we help kids feel empowered in their learning and and families feel like they're a part of that system? That is the problem that the professional development of educational leaders is the problem that is being solved by adult education and care solutions. Mm And so how did you how did you land on that problem? Because even as you you told your story, I was like, okay, she was a bomb teacher. Like I already <laughs> tell, she had bomb relationships with students and families and her whole entire team. Someone in the comments already uh, made a statement that your positivity is, cor- uh, is contagious. I was like, oh. I already knew. You just had your relationships were overflowing within your community. So you had many different kind of tools in your toolboxes and kind of an art of uh, a master of many different things. So how did you zone in on this target client of school leaders, of those who are leading educational organizations? How did you hone in on that? So the reason 
just very honestly that I thought about working with school leaders is because as a school leader, I didn't feel necessarily that I had those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I, it's also another thing that I kind of worked through with you through coaching was one of the mindset issues I, I thought through is that here in where I'm located locally, consulting is usually reserved for the biggest names in education, like a Marzano or, you know, just if you name just a huge name in education, that's who you'll see come in as a consultant because otherwise the thought is kind of like, well, we already have someone in-house that can do those things. Why would we hire someone to come in and do that? And so the opportunity to be coached as a principal was not necessarily available to me. I would have loved that opportunity as a new principal. That was actually something when I started my doctoral program that I was looking into as a dissertation topic was what specifically do new, especially when you're a young, and even there's a lot of research on African-American female Mm-hmm. principle. What, so it got really, when I was narrowing it down for dissertation, it got really specific. But really just in general, what are those different forms of professional development that we can utilize? We think about that a lot in terms of teachers and we say, okay, what are some different, we think about it when we're delivering instruction to students. How can we vary those methods? But that's not necessarily something that I was seeing as an administrator that was happening. We were having a lot of the same type of meetings. It wasn't like all the different service models we learn in your in your program. There were all these different choices. If I had mm-hmm. had the choice to be coached or to be able to really kind of pick and choose what worked best for me and my learning style, I think that I would have flourished even more and that just wasn't available. So it was, for me, the reason that came to mind is because it's something that I would have really gleaned from if it had been available to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell the folks how how long you've had your consulting business, because that's going to help put into context my next couple of questions. Yes. So The idea originally came maybe probably about a year ago. I'm going to show you something that's funny. It hangs on my wall now. It's everywhere. So it started with a vision board. Come on. Come on, vision board. (laughs) You better manifest. Come on, vision board. It started with that. And so that happened about a year ago. And then I knew pretty much the problem that I wanted to solve. And through your program, it helped me get more clarity on the problem. But in March is when I, of this, of 2020 is when I filed for the LLC. So during that time frame, I'd done a lot of research, which I have to say, when you talk about what were some of the challenges, it was hard. I mean, I'm a learner. That's one of my top five strengths. However, Mm -hmm. it was hard going from being the person that people come to, to ask all the questions that you normally have the answers. It was hard to go from that. I have the education answers, but I did not know how to run a business. So that part was the part that I had to really take some time and and research. Up until that point where I joined the Get Launched Consulting Program, I I had done everything that I knew to do. So, and then even things I didn't know to do, but I started listening to different podcasts and I started doing different webinars and I started you know, doing research. Um, up until that point, I had, like I said, I filed for the LLC. Let me write, I, I wrote down some other things. Oh, I had launched my website. Mm-hmm. I knew what services I wanted to provide. I knew who my target market was. I did some things with branding. Um, I had gotten business cards made and I had started making different contacts um, and letting people know what I was trying to do. But I wasn't sure what some of the next steps would be after that. So mm-hmm. at that point, I had seen a couple of your webinars. 
I mean, I was like, oh, she really knows what she's talking about. <laughs> she has the education side, but also those business pieces that um, I just needed to have more momentum to know what were, were my next steps. And so that for me was very helpful in knowing the next steps of what to do. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions that folks, folks ask all the time that are that are in the process of contemplating launching their consulting business or like super, super early on in their stages, like how do I find my first client? Mm-hmm. And so talk to us around like how, how you found your first client and what strategies you're experimenting with to build your clientele. Okay. So a lot of this came from the program. So I have to just say, if anyone is considering doing the program, I know this probably, these testimonials, we're not paid for this, anything. This is like real life. So for me, the first several opportunities that came my way were all from one of the strategies that Erica talks to us about in the program. And once we reached out to the people in our in our circle that you maybe wouldn't even realize leads would come from, that's where they came from. So when we, when we talked about doing target client friend uh, interviews, I literally just put out on my non-existent social media. <laughs> You been stepping your social media game up too. Listen, listen, I'm trying my best. We'll talk about that next. Okay. <laughs> mm. um, but I something out there that we talked about in one of our sessions. And literally all of the first five opportunities that came to me were all stemmed in some way from that initial call out, just saying, hey, I'd like to talk to people a little bit about you know what I'm doing and about this opportunity. And I had those conversations with people and several of them led to, to my next step and next opportunities and contract opportunities. And it was, I mean, it, I don't want to say it was as easy as one, two, three, but I didn't expect <laughs> to get the response I did. And I said, by the end of the week, I'd like to have three to five interviews Right away, like within the hour, had like nine people saying, oh, pick oh, me. Wow. Like, I'd like to talk. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. <laughs> so it was it was good. And it just, it's so nice to have the support of someone saying, if you try this, this is one way. You can also try this. You can also try this. And having some different options. Now, one thing that's been really great is that con- I'm being connected with people through those initial connections. So now it's getting to like the second tier. So I would say that mm. those initial connections are now saying, you know, let me introduce you to this person. I think you'd be really good for this. So just opening yourself up. And that was something that I I needed to just broaden my scope that way. And even something you told me was if the mindset in Omaha is that consultants are, you know, they're thought of in a different way. Have you thought about you know, opening up to outside of your area and and what what would be some means that you can do that. So just having the coaching of, you know, broaden your scope a little bit, you know, and and knowing that we all have something in us (laughs) that purposely implanted inside of us that others want to hear and need to hear. it, It was so affirming for me to realize I wasn't having to go down and knock down anybody's door. There were people who once they knew I was there were coming to me and I was like, whoa, okay, well, this is, 
different than what I might have expected. And it was really motivating to then help me want to take those next steps in the business because I was like, wow, you know, I already thought that, but the fact that it happened that way and it wasn't inside of the school, I knew I had always had success inside of a school. I didn't know what that would look like outside the school setting because I'd never been outside of the school setting. Yeah. So it was just um, having those steps was very helpful. Oh my goodness. This gives me like, uh, this gives me so much joy because part of this process of launching your own consulting business, it reflects back to you, your gifts and your talents. And it reflects mm-hmm. back to you your, your value add. And so, you know, this get launch consulting is, is focused on phenomenal educators expanding their impact and building their wealth through launching a consulting business. Mm -hmm. And so taking, you know, you and your business as such a beautiful example of the journey that you've had in education, the results that you've had in education, there are people that the moment they know you got a service. They like, oh, Darnisha coaching? Oh, I can get coached. She coached me back in the day. And let me tell you about the change. And now I could I could get her even though she ain't at my school. I could bring her to my school. But they're like, where do I sign up? And so I love, I love the fact that you're sharing this around, you know, we talk about the trust building process. And part of this is really being able to to think through your network and your relationships which i think oftentimes for some of us could be could feel really uncomfortable because it, it's social capital and it's how do you mm-hmm. leverage your social capital to be able to continue to expand your impact right. so so talk to us around like you and you started to talk about some of this some of the mindset work that has come <laughs> up on your journey what what does that look like for you and and we talk about how mindset work is an ongoing journey it's not a destination but what have been one or two mindsets that that you've worked through or might still be working through in your business i would say one of them that I already mentioned was that I had to be in a school to make the impact that I want to make. That was a huge one for me to even be able to to make that transition. Um, we've kind of talked about that one already, but the second one that I laugh about always is the social media. Is just can we have a moment of silence <laughs> for me with the social media? I just and one of the things, and we've talked about this before too. And it, and it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. For one, we are told as a people, as women, that we have to run twice as fast to get half as far. And you better show mm-hmm. up and be excellent. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. you better show up and be more mm-hmm. than excellent to be mm-hmm. able to compete. And mm-hmm. so, but then at the same time, you're not allowed to say anything about it or so that would be bragging. Mm-hmm. You're, not al- you're, not allowed to, you're not allowed to announce it from the rooftops. So what that does is we're saying, we, we tell ourselves we're being humble, but at the same time, we're not showing up in a way that other people can see what's possible. And yeah. that's the part for me that uh, that made me okay with the social media, having some of those conversations. Because in the past, I was like, I don't get me wrong, I've been on social media. I was the principal that was posting the stuff for my school. So mm-hmm. I'm familiar mm-hmm. with Facebook from that standpoint. I did not have a personal page. I definitely didn't have everything. I have now Instagram. I still haven't figured out Twitter. 
anybody, <laughs> if anybody can tell me about this tweet and I don't know what's going on, I'm saying, who I'm tweeting to, I got 13 followers. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've done, you know, I'm on LinkedIn now. So I'm, I'm working through it. And what I found is that when, when you have something to say, people will come and they want to see what you, yeah. what, what you're sharing. So, and I owe it to myself to do that, but I also owe it to all of you because we need to show each other what's possible because we're living within a, a system, no matter how, what smile we put on every day and how positive we go in there and are for our kids and how we bracket what's going on in our minds so that we can show up and be everything for everybody. There, we're working within a system sometimes that doesn't always have the best messages for who we are. We're in some situations yeah. happen. We're not given the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes they're like, we already gave you a chance. Now you better never mess up. And it's like, come on. Like, and we're told, you know, well, what is it that you do? Oh, that's that black girl magic. But it's like, if that magic is not being appreciated, you better be careful because I might poop be gone. Okay. Mm. So what I'm saying with all of this is show up in different ways. And I found that show social media is just another tool to do that. And so that was a huge mindset shift for me because I did not yeah. have a single social media, anything until when July <laughs> and then I never listen get this I didn't have an Instagram till you asked me about doing this <laughs> and I was like oh, and look and look at and you here come on I was like okay well I can be on the IG live do I have to have one I mean what, what I need to do so so I just appreciate the growth just in that for me but um just because I've gotten such a response to from others just saying, you know, that's been really cool us to being able to see what you're up to. And, and people have reached out and just said, you know, you're showing us what's possible. And, and so for me, that's just been great because that's what we need to do is be encouraging each other and adjusting each other's crowns along the way. So yes. Been oh good. my gosh. Oh, so you, you named a couple of really, really powerful key points that I want to like highlight, underscore, double double (laughs) tap, double click, all that stuff. So first you named this concept of being humble, which I will share. That is probably one of my least favorite words. Now, humility is is different. I don't feel the same way about humility that I feel about the (laughs) word humble. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think there are a lot of folks Mm. who who struggle with with this concept of humility that my opinion and belief is that has actually been a a tool of white supremacy to tell marginalized communities to play small and not take up space. They'll say you need to be humble. Or it has been a survival strategy in marginalized communities because when we have taken up space, i.e. Tulsa, we have actually there has actually been acts of violence committed yep. against us. Yep. And so yep. so this word humility could either be a one that has been self-imposed, whether it is we have internalized this thought that we have to play small or it's been a survival strategy when, when we have this opportunity to actually take up space as an act of resistance mm-hmm. of like living big, dreaming big, 
taking up space, walking boldly and what we have accomplished, what we've done, what we set out to do is actually an act of resistance. And when we're talking about our accomplishments, when we're talking about what we've achieved, when we talk about the work that we've done in communities, it's not bragging, it's not being arrogant, it's stating facts. And what I loved about what you said is that when we do that, when we take up space, because it's an act of resistance, we actually are giving other people permission to do the same. We're inspiring other people, we're motivating other people, And when you take up space in your business, it's actually an act of service because then people are beginning to be more aware of the tools and the gifts that you have that can solve a problem that they're struggling with. And so I think we have an opportunity in terms of the mindset work for folks who are listening. They have some of that mindset work around taking up space around visibility. I really encourage you to reframe it as stating facts of giving other people permission to be able to do the same of it's an act of resistance and it's an act of service because you have something that's that somebody desperately needs right now and they're not going to know unless you say something. So I love that that mindset example that you just named. It's such a a, it's a common one. And I know that someone who's listening to that is really going to resonate. So. Tell us about some of the lessons that you've learned in your business. And there's a part of me that um, I'm curious because, you know, there's some of these smaller moments that we haven't had the chance. Well, some of them we have talked about, (laughs) but I really want you to, to share with folks those really, really small moments in your business, kind of like how you were saying before, this is the case for many educators. We are bomb-ass educators, but when it comes to a business and the business side of things, it's like, what? <laughs> hey, what do I do? So I'm curious around like what business lessons that you've learned along the yeah. way. It could be small, it could be big, because I think that's going to be really, really helpful for folks. Right. And so just bridging from what we were just talking about, one of the lessons was stating the facts. Like when you said show receipts, that was huge because how do you show your credibility without doing that? Like if someone's never heard of you before, even if they have, they might not know everything about you or what you can offer. So being comfortable and sitting in what your experience is and being able to state exactly what results you've been able to get. Like those are, to me, that was huge. It it seems so simple, but walking in your excellence allows people to say, you know what, we want that here. We want that. And so um, that was, that was huge. And it seemed small, but I think for a lot of us, that was an enlightening part of the program um, when we did that part. And sometimes it's hard because we've been, you know, conditioned to, okay, do I state that? Or is that important enough to even say, but for other people, they're like, wow, look at your expertise, you know? And then the next part was just you telling us, you know, celebrate the small wins along the way too. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we're hardest on ourselves. And so we're we're looking at things way far down the line. And so remembering every brick to celebrate. And yeah. you were really good about helping us remember that. So if we said something in our in the Slack channel, um, you would, you know, have raised the roof and be very excited with us. And at first I was like, oh, like, 
I just finished what we talked about, but okay. <laughs> so then next thing you know, I'm like, well, where, honey, where are we going to eat? Because I just finished my... <laughs> yes! Treat yourself! Yes. Yes. yes! And then he's sending me flowers and everything because he's like, well, you know, that was the next brick in your business, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, so then it's like not only you, but then your people around you are seen because you're teaching yourself how to appreciate every brick, but then also the people around you. And so then it makes you want to keep building because it feels good along the way. You're not worried yet. You know, well, I hadn't landed that contract I thought that I was going to, or that wasn't as much money as I thought it was going to be. You're saying, you know what? I talked to somebody else about my business today, or this business really is real because people are calling me, asking me about it. Um, Or I got my business cards today and they look dope. Like, it's just like so exciting. So um, I just think taking the time And it's just a lesson for life as well. You know, um, so many things that I've learned in the business are applicable across different areas of my life. I mean, celebrating the small wins, that doesn't just apply to Dow education. I mean, that's just all the things, you know, and that's how, especially during these times where I'm getting tired of the word unprecedented, but (laughs) they are unprecedented times. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, how do you celebrate those things along the way that are good? Because there are really great things still happening. So that was a huge one for me. Another one that I learned through the program was just recycling your content. So maybe you had a blog post that later shows up in some form or fashion as a post you do on social media, or maybe something uh, that you wrote, you take a piece out of that and you mm-hmm. turn it into something else. And so it's the, all that whole thing about working smarter, not harder. And also because in different, you have different audiences on different platforms. So I don't think anybody's tired of seeing any of it. And even mm-hmm. if they saw it again, it's like, oh, you know, sometimes it takes more times to, for something to hit. So I think that was really good. My favorite lesson that I learned. Okay. My favorite. All right. I'm ready. You coached me through this. So you, you already know. So if, okay, I had a contract. I'm in negotiations for this contract. The people could not fully afford me. Mm -hmm. Sad day. Okay. Mm -hmm. Listen, but I really wanted to do it. So what I learned from EJT was that it didn't have to be monetary and we could find some other ways for them for there to still be value added on both sides that was that made us both still feel really good about that contract and so mm-hmm. i'm thinking specifically there were there were things that we were able to do exchange of services for some of it there's some promotion pieces that they're doing for my business and and that does have value. It wasn't the monetary amount that they would have paid, but they they paid what they were able to through some nonprofit pricing. And then the rest of it, we were able to kind of work out. And I wouldn't have known to do that if, if we hadn't had that conversation. So I've just been, there's been tons of learning. That actually was my favorite one because it's just helped me rethink and reframe how I'm thinking about uh, about that piece and that there's other value sometimes mm-hmm. than just the monetary piece. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really, really good one. It's so interesting because I was having some thoughts that were firing off while you talk around the first one of four, you know, educators to talk about their experiences. Oftentimes, I mean, you know, as educators, we do a lot of reflecting on on student practice and even our own practice in terms of the spirit of like, how can we improve or get better or where's our greatest you know area of growth we don't do a lot of reflecting on what have i accomplished where yeah. have what have i done and so to your point around like being really clear 
on the receipts that you're bringing yeah. to your business that make you positioned to to uniquely solve this problem, be the best person to solve this problem. It's been so funny because that's why so for everybody who enrolls in the program, I have them provide my social their social media information so I can follow everybody. And that's kind of my way of like gathering data on people really quickly. Mm-hmm. So that way when we get to the receipts page, I can be like, don't you have a book? Didn't you just graduate? Like, I don't see none of that in there. And like, you lucked out that you're a whole author and you've been writing and you've published it because I saw it on your social media. And like, where where's that at? So, and then to this other point that you named too, around uh, essentially negotiating of when it comes to a contract, oftentimes, and this goes to, you know, the business side of, of when it comes to negotiating contracts, that they're, the, you know, name the lesson of that, you know, part of, of, of value add monetary is one way, mm-hmm. but there are other ways. And this is where you have to be clear in terms of right. what your, your business values are. What other ways could people add value to your business, especially right. when you're in the early stage of your business and you're trying to build your clientele, you're trying to get revenue coming in, that being picky and choosy is a privilege. And sometimes early on in your business, <laughs> you don't have the privilege <laughs> of being picky and choosy. Or maybe to your point, there's a contract you really, really want to do. Yeah. And so because of that, you really want to figure out a way to work it out. And that's when you have other opportunities to be able to negotiate other things in addition to the actual consulting fee. I mean, I had a similar conversation with another alum around like, what could it look like to negotiate, you know, hosting something that's going to generate more leads or potential clients into your business. So that way they may not be paying a fee, but they're bringing you (laughs) potential business, um, which could be compensating for the fee. So that's, that's great. So if if y'all have any, any questions, final questions, uh, go ahead and drop those into the chat as we kind of transition here to to wrap it up. Um, but Demisha, what advice would you give for folks who are in that stage of, should I, should I not launch my consulting business? Or maybe they're super early and they're trying to grow it. What would you, what advice would you give them? I would say first and foremost, to sit down first and think about what it is that you just dream first, just mm. at the ideation phase. I would just say, sit there and and think about what is it if you could, if there were no limits, what would you do? That's what my vision board was originally for me. And then after that, just kind of go from that dream phase to a little bit of the discovery of, okay, so I'm checking out this webinar here. I'm seeing this and kind of like dip your toe in it a little bit and see if that's something you think that you would like to do. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who's already started and you're kind of where I was, where you've done everything you know to do, I would say the best thing, the best next step for me was to be a part of the Get Launched Consulting uh, cohort because it gave me concrete steps on what to do next. And because I was at a point where I was like, okay, I've done all of this. So what? I didn't want to just lose momentum because I wasn't sure. So it was a, a great learning tool for me. So that for me, I would again, do it again. I've heard other alums say that and and everyone's saying that because it gave us those next steps of what to do. And no matter what phase you are, even if you're someone who's been doing a long time, we had someone, a couple people in our cohort who had been consulting, but again, they maybe worked for a company consulting Mm -hmm. and they were trying to know how to transition into consulting on their own. So 
the program isn't just for people who are just starting out either. So if you're someone that's in that stage where you've been consulting for a long time, but you're wanting to transition into it being your own business, there's some great steps. Or if you're someone who has a, a small business but wants to scale, there's parts in there for wherever you are um, in your business. So I would say that's my biggest piece of advice is take that next step to invest in yourself. And we pay money for so many other things. I've got a closet full of shoes and clothes that I'm trying to make room for a new husband. I spent all that money on those clothes. I spent all that money on those clothes. Why not also take a few, the, the price that it was, I earned back right away with the knowledge that I gained and those opportunities that came my way from knowing those next steps. So if you're someone who's Mm. wondering about the value, that pays for itself in spades, even after the first or second session. So that would be my advice there. Also, just bet on yourself. I think that we've learned how to work hard for other people. And I had to tell myself, you know, if I work that hard for another organization or for you know, when I was working in schools, I'm not going to work any less hard for my, when I'm doing something for myself or to get my own business off the ground. So bet on yourself and, and, mm-hmm. and just sometimes you just have to take that next step. Sometimes you can only see the first step, the next, the rest of it. I'm, I'm a woman of faith. So the rest of it, I couldn't see the whole staircase, but I saw the first step and I took the yes. step and, and he's done the rest. So, and he hasn't failed me and, and I'm still here and I'm still doing it and I'm still happy and, <laughs> and we're yeah. working it out. So yeah, and I and you can still do do the work. Um, I've I've seen people that are still in their full time job, but are doing this on the side. So there's lots of different routes. So yeah. just investigating, you know, to see what you think will fit best with where you are with things. So you said two things, and we had two questions come into the chat that I want us to answer before we wrap up. So first, this piece it, it that you said around. Um, people really dreaming about their business and putting it down on paper. Something that I've heard uh, two or three different occasions in the past couple of months, which just resonates deeply for me, is that, you know, this our country's history of racism, oppression, and white supremacy has actually stole the ability of, of, of us to be able to imagine, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, oftentimes when you have been in survival mode for so long, imagining and dreaming can feel like a privilege. And so I do feel like part of, you know, our profession as educators is we have not always been allowed to dream. We have not always been allowed to imagine because of of the bureaucracy, because of the constraints, because of the accountability, because of testing, we haven't been allowed to innovate and dream and imagine. And so I love this point that you're making and just want to continue to underscore and encourage folks of like, give yourself the gift of dreaming and imagining of what your business could look like and know that you have the power to create whatever you want to be true. And Mm -hmm. so if you want a a side hustle, if you want a full-time hustle, you want a little bit of extra change in your pocket, or if you want a whole nother stream of income to eventually replace your full-time income, it can happen. And so I love that point. And it's such a, a, such a beautiful point. And then we had two questions. Can I, uh, can I interrupt you just for come one on, there? Come on. No, yeah, yeah. because you, you brought up something. I told you I may or may not say a poem today because that's the, my other. I, I'm going to put you out there. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to let the spirit move you. So I wouldn't go put you out there, but no, listen. but I, 
I want to say when you when you were talking about the dreaming part, that's part of why I said that, because I've, I've always been someone who's has been a little bit different and done things a little bit different. And it has served me well up to a certain point. But I feel like you get to a certain point. Sometimes people are like, OK, we brought you here for that, but you, you might be doing a little too much of that. <laughs> you're like mm-hmm. getting a little bit constrained and you're like confused, like, wait, but I, I thought that's why you brought me here. These talents, these mm-hmm. gifts, these mm-hmm. dreams that I was mm-hmm. sharing, you know. And so actually, I, I'm going to share with you guys. You asked me earlier a little bit, too, about why why I decided to go into consulting. And part of it, when I left the social climate that was that was going on in the country, everything. When I put in my resignation and I was asked why I left, part of what I, my response was, is I can't breathe. And I know they looked at me like, what does that mean? I, I was the only person of color in educational administration um, in the place where I was. And I was welcomed there. There were some different microaggressions that were going on along the time. And at first I was just so happy to be there. Surely that's not what that meant. Or surely this, but you get to a point where you're like, okay. And then you're, And then you're in a system, too, where that's what's going on. And then you have babies there that look like you. And they're like, I told you before, a little girl ran up to me. I didn't know what to feel because she ran up and she said, oh, I didn't know black people could be principals. Cool. Mm. And then she ran off. And I'm like, (laughs) at the first point, I was like, oh, I'm glad you know that now in my mind. And then I'm like, "Okay, but what? I had another student who, when I was doing things for Black History Month, she thought I invented it. She Mm. She said, that's cool that you came up with that. I'm like, Black History Month? Like mm. she, she was in fifth grade. She had, she didn't know that that it had never been talked about. She didn't know. Like she was like, oh, I thought that was just something you came up with. And I'm like, okay, we gotta do better for these babies. But the first step in doing that, which relates back to my problem, is we also have to do better by our educators of color that come in mm. and are trying to show us another way to do things to get different results. You do have to try something different. So nurture that a little bit more because sometimes you're looking at like, well, we've never done it like that. Well, that's still why we have the achievement and the discipline gap. I know we've never done it like this, but this is something I know that would help. So just having our voice. So anyways, this does not have a name, but I'm just going to tell you. Um, Come on. Here you go. Okay. Educate, hustle, work, and strive. I'm leaving with scars, but I'm still alive. Accommodate, assimilate, same song, different year. Sacrifice, struggle, when you don't even see me here. Or know my experience, my perspective, my pain. Say you don't see color yet, don't treat me the same. But you wanted me here. You scouted me from the crowd. My talents and gifts told to live them out loud. Yet her words haunt me daily. Don't show yourself here. Hide in plain sight. The implication was clear. Black spirits are broken. I'd be just another man down. No seat at the table, fade the background. But I said, no, I'll work harder, be smarter, run fast, won't let them see weakness, won't dare finish last. But social capital and privilege were slowly unveiled. I could have an opinion, yet theirs always prevailed. Told I was being handled. They diminished my voice. Playing Rick in their game was never my choice. But I picked up the pieces and swallowed my pride up, buried the hurt and just hid it inside. Their judgment and inequity somehow my shame, the weight of unrest choking me with the blame, and I am still tasked with the burden of proof. When they're judge, jury, and executioner, so what is the use? When outward expressions of microaggressions openly hinder any chance of progression, see, showing them they're offensive has become labor-intensive. And there's too many lifeless Black bodies in, in schools, too many lifeless Black minds for us to take this so lightly. We need to stop wasting time. And open their eyes to what has gone wrong. Because if things have been done right, then I wouldn't have gone. Hmm. So you first have to acknowledge a problem in order to fix it. 
So I hope they're listening closely or I'm sure they're going to miss it. Because like it or not, for me in that district, heavy was the burden and expensive was the tax to know if they ever really truly saw me or if they just saw me as Black. Girl. Ooh. uh, Someone put in the the comments, which, I mean, I don't even know what to say right now, but I think they just said it of just deep with all these exclamation points. And first off, thank you for your gift. Thank you for sharing that. Because the words, there's so much power in what you just said. So much power in what you just said. And it reminds me that, you know, something that Sable, who was an alum Mm. um, Cycle 5 as well, and she said during our conversation is, you know, in your entrepreneurship is the safest place for Black women. Mm. And her, her rationale behind that was that the power, oftentimes we see entrepreneurship as risky when, when actually it, it, is, it is you being able to bet on yourself yeah, yeah. and to fully lean into your power yeah. And and really realizing that actually every time we bet on ourselves when we're operating within a racist, oppressive system, we've always won. But to your point, we've had to suffocate. Like yeah. uh, like, you know, as as we're doing it, or like we felt this like weight in our chest as we mm-hmm. were doing the work. And yeah. so the poem that you just read is so deeply powerful and and sharing your experience. And then juxtaposing that and thinking about with like the freedom that you've now been able to create in your business. Yeah. Yeah. While not without sacrificing your impact. Yeah. Like being able to have the the same impact and and even multiply it to be able to work across multiple different communities and school districts. And I have to say even being able to feel comfortable to say that because I think a lot of times we also as Black women are told to, you know, just put your head down and where you feel these things. But if you're in a professional setting, you don't want to be seen as the angry Black woman or you don't Mm want to be seen as, you know, you're, oh Lord, now they're going to be saying we're racist. Like, you know, but there are things that are happening and we got to stop having that feeling of ignorance is bliss in these situations. Ignorance is ignorance and we have to call it what it is. And sometimes though it is exhausting to be the ones that always have to point it out. It's like, cause that's why I said showing you your offensive has become labor. It's like, I'm trying, yeah. but at the same time, you know, so it's like, how can you step outside of that, get your own peace and guard your own hope to be able to go back, step back in and say, okay, Here's what I could do to help in this situation. And the good news is there have been people even within that system that are open to hearing it and that um, that let's let's learn from it so that the next person that comes in has a better experience. You know, I'm not leaving bitter or feeling any type of way like that, but there are things that need to get better for the people that work there, for the kids, for the families. And here's a way to do that. So I just think it it just opens up, like you said, a new lane for us to be able to be helpful. And entrepreneurship for me has given me that freedom, that power and the safety to feel comfortable mm. to be able to say those things that you don't have to worry about what the ramifications of that might be for your career and mm. those things because you're leading your own journey. So um, Mm. I'm so excited to be able to represent some of those absent narratives that we don't hear because people are nervous to say or scared to say. 
And this has all just been an empowering experience, really. Mm. And since, since being part of the program, I've I've submitted some things for publication. I'm so excited about that. I'm on the board. I know. I'm on the board of a youth organization that's working with youth from the African diaspora and just things that bring me just so much satisfaction and joy. I just have the time and the energy and the perspective and connection with the community to be able to still do some of those things that before I maybe wasn't in the system that I was in and and the workload that I had. I wasn't able to do. So I'm just excited. And so if anybody's out there thinking about starting, starting their business, there's lots of benefits outside of what you might think they are um, just for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The, the freedom and knowing that you don't have to sacrifice who you are in order to walk in your purpose. And so it's, it's so clear that that you're able to hold both of those truths, that you can be fully, deeply who you are, authentically who you are, and still be effective and and walking in your purpose, that you don't have to to give up one in order to do the other, is a really, really beautiful, beautiful thing. There were two quick questions that we'll answer and then we'll wrap up. So someone asked, um, how much time do you need to spend weekly while you're building your business from scratch? So I'll, because Dernisha is full-time in her business. So if you can talk a little bit in terms of the progression for you, and then I'll answer that from my perspective as someone who, it will in, Dernisha is also in grad school, <laughs> get her doctorate. <laughs> and so uh, she has that that's going on too. But I'll answer from the perspective of, of my perspective too. So how would you answer the question of how much time do you need to spend weekly while you're, uh, while you build your business from scratch? I would say, and when I first started, like I said, I, I filed for the LLC in March. So I still was an administrator at that time in the school district. And so I was on contract through June. So I was taking steps. I created my website during that time, filed the paperwork, started working on branding and all of that. I just did that in the time that I had outside of work. So whereas I would have been maybe watching a Netflix show or reading a good book, that same amount of a couple of hours in the evening after I finished things, that's when I would work on the things for the business. So at that time, I was doing it a couple hours a night. Now I'm to the point where I'm, I'm not this week because I was, it was wedding week. <laughs> Come on, wedding week. Yes. But before that, every, and it was something I actually talked through as Erica was coaching me. I asked her about the time management piece because that was something originally that I was trying to get a handle on how to organize everything. And so once I did, you know, I spend the same amount of time that I did when I was a principal sitting down and kind of thinking through my week, my month, you know, I have my monthly planner, the weekly, and just how do I chunk my days? And it's just like when I was working any other, any other job and I treat it that way. So I, even though we were home during the pandemic, whether I had a meeting or not, I I knew I was more effective once I got up and got dressed like, you know, and went to work. And so spending that different time, you know, reaching out to different contacts, creating content, those different things. And when when you learn what it is that you should be doing in your business and know what those steps are, there's always plenty to do. So it fills the day. So I do do it full time now. Uh, but originally when I started, I just did it in the extra time that I had in the evenings. 
Yeah, I think this is a great question because part of this is, you know, everyone kind of assessing their own personal situation and it's less about what's a certain number of hours and then I have to figure out how to make those hours work. Mm. It's more so around how many hours do I actually have available within the week? Like thinking realistically around, you know, the commitments that you may have, whether those are professional or personal or with your family and whatever that hourly commitment is, A, you need to commit to it and you need to to prioritize your business work to make that time work. So if you only have two hours a week to dedicate to your business, that's not that's not, you, we, it's, you can't place a value judgment on it. That's enough time or not enough time. It is what it is. It's two hours. It's what you do with the two hours. Yeah. And so we've kind of talked about this in some of the other conversations, but if you have two hours a week, that means that you need to be sole focused on revenue generating tasks. Every single thing you do during those two hours needs to be directly tied to bringing money into your business. If it's not bringing money into your business, you can't do it right now. <laughs> Maybe you can do it when you get to three, four hours, but you can't. Mm-mm. You have to be so strategic with that. And then the last question, which I'll just quickly answer is, at what point should you hire someone to help you manage the work? It's a really, really great question. So part of this is, it's a little bit of a, a personal decision. And I can share with you when I got to that decision of hiring a virtual assistant. And now my I, I brought on a couple of other um, folks to help support my business. So part of it is, is when you say hire someone to help, I'm making the assumption that you mean, because hiring help could could look in a many different ways. So my first hire was a virtual assistant. My second hire was a bookkeeper. Some people might decide to do the bookkeeper first. It all just depends on your personal situation, your preferences, your priorities. But for me, I brought someone on when I felt like I was a bottleneck in my business. Mm. So when I was the reason why something couldn't get done that was a revenue generating task, then I needed to bring someone on my team to help me take things off of my plate. And so I think that's a good indicator is when you you are you are actually in the way of revenue, that means you need to free up more time or take things off your plate and you need to consider bringing someone on. All right. Denisha, tell the people how they can contact you or if there's um, something that's coming up in your business that you want to share with the folks. Yeah. So I'm now on all these different social media platforms. So please hey, (laughs) on Facebook, it's at Dow Education Care. And here on Instagram, it's my name at Dernisha Harris. It has not changed to Phillips yet. I got to figure that one out at the time. <laughs> and then Twitter is at Dernisha and, and LinkedIn. I'm on there too. So I'm getting, hey, listen, and I just found out about Clubhouse. So don't even worry Come on, about Clubhouse. It. Come on, Clubhouse. I'm yes. on the troops. Yes. Hey. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for making the time to be able to to share with folks your story, to share your heart, to share the poem that I, let me tell you, somebody gonna get saved listening to that poem. (laughs) And somebody put in the comments that they need that like published and framed and printed (laughs) out. And so it is just so clear that you are the right one for this work and that your business is the right one to be able to support students and communities and meeting their needs. And I'm just so grateful that you're betting on yourself. I'm like so grateful. And part of this is, and I'm sure you can resonate from this as a, from a principal's perspective, 
is knowing how hard it is to find a good teacher. Yeah. Knowing how hard <laughs> it is to find a good teacher. And when I hear you talk, I'm like, I know she was a bomb ass teacher. I know she was a bomb ass principal. And then to hear the way that now you're growing and expanding your impact, that means that that your gifts are spreading. And when your gifts are spreading, that means students and communities are getting free and getting what they need. And so just thank you for making the time and thank you for betting on yourself. And, you know, I'm forever your cheerleader and coach <laughs> in your corner. Um, you stuck with me forever, just so you know. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I hope um, so. <laughs> yes. You, I'm forever, uh, forever, forever in your corner, your forever coach. And so for folks who are listening to this conversation and that thoughts of a consulting business, now you've gotten more energy and you have given yourself permission to be able to dream, to be able to imagine around the possibilities and you're ready to go for it. Yeah, Darnisha shared also about Get Launch Consulting, my 12-week program that walks educators step-by-step through how to launch their consulting business. If you want more information about that, click the link in my bio to find out more about that. All right, y'all have a good evening. Be safe, be well. Bye.